This podcast is brought to you by Estee Lauder Company's UK and Ireland's breast cancer campaign. The campaign helped to make the opening of Future Dreams House possible and continues to raise millions to help end breast cancer. The house offers practical and emotional support to those diagnosed with the disease. Welcome to a special episode of And Then Came Breast Cancer. And today we are in a science lab. We are at the Institute of Cancer Research, which for around 100 years has been looking at ways of treating cancer and potentially preventing cancer. So right now I'm standing in a white, busy, quite messy lab. It's probably about the size of half a classroom. Um, And there are a number of workstations and there are some scientists I can see who maybe we'll have a chat with in a moment. And standing right next to me is Professor Claire Isaac. Hello to you. Thank you for having us here. Oh, very welcome. Tell us what your job is. So I'm a professor of at the Institute of Cancer Research, and my main job here is to run this research lab, which is about uh, 11 people. And we um, focus, all of our research is focused on breast cancer, and particularly in breast cancers that have spread around the body. And so as I look around, uh, as I said, I can see a number of workstations, shelves above each workstation piled high with boxes and equipment and goodness knows what. We've got two freezers here, freezer one and freezer two, fridge magnets um, over them, pictures of the staff here. That obviously looks like a good night having a drink after work one day. Uh, what's what's it, And it says minus 20 on the front yeah. of the freezer. What's inside these two freezers? So these are just freezers very similar to what you'd have at home, perhaps a bit bigger. And this is where we keep a lot of what we call lab stocks. So antibodies that we use regularly, the primers for doing the DNA analysis, serum, for growing ourselves in things that just have to be kept frozen okay right let's have a wonder um this half of the lab is quiet there is one gentleman who is working away so this is david hi david hello how are you can i interrupt for one sec do you mind could you try and explain in layman's terms what you're doing so these are slides that we have for histopathology Um, so they're all stained for specific proteins or markers um, that we can see in the tissues to see if they're being expressed or not. Um, so what do you mean expressed? Um, so you see if they're there or if they're not there. Right. Um, and so I'm just organising them between different experiments so we can see when we need to refer back to them, um, we can see what the tissues had and what they didn't have. And what's your official job title, if you don't mind me asking? I'm a higher scientific officer. So I'm one of the technicians in the lab, so I help out a lot with the postdocs and the PhD students. Okay. And why are you doing this job? What draws you to this? Um, I've always loved to help people and science was a great way of getting into that and making a difference. Well, thank you very much for talking to us, David. Thank Mm -hmm. you. We carry on wandering past a few desktops, a couple of chairs, uh, a radio and and yeah, we're in the other half of the lab. Have you tidied up, Claire? Uh, yes, we have. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, yes, so that our health and safety people don't um, uh, complain. Got, we've got rid of the overflowing uh, bins and, uh, yeah, decluttered, yes. I think's the word. Fair I know enough. it still looks cluttered, but yeah, no, this no, is... No, 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 it looks like a lab, which, yes. is, which is kind of what I expected. And we've got a couple of um, 
members of staff here. Yeah. Would it be okay just to say hi to you? Hi, what's your name? Hello, I'm Rachel. Um, I'm a third year PhD student here. Okay, personally. and so what are you doing right now, Rachel, if you don't mind me asking? Um, so I'm cloning. Um, cloning? Yeah, it's not quite Dolly the Sheep situation. It's just trying to get my uh, receptor, which is a protein expressed on a cell, um, expressed in different cells so that I can target those as well. And just explain why you would want to target particular cells. Um, so not all cells express the protein that I'm trying to target. Um, so the ones that we are trying to target are the fibroblasts and they're like tumor supportive cells. Um, are they bad cells? They can be, yes. They help tumors progress and spread around. Um, so we're trying to get rid of those types of cells to try and limit tumor progression. Okay. And why do you do this job? Um, I think it's it's very rewarding. Um, it's quite mentally challenging as well, um, trying to work out different problems, how to solve things. But overall, to know that you're actually helping and progress science and understanding to help people is quite rewarding itself. Thank you very much for talking to us. I'm just going to have a quick word with your colleague, if I may. Hello, sir. Hello. Hi, what's your name? So my name is George. And how long have you worked here, George? So I'm currently a first year PhD student here, so I haven't been working for a while. I'm quite of a newbie, so I've been here for five months and I'm starting to get the hand of, get the hang of my project and uh, of my experiments, the techniques that I have to use. And yes. Where are you from originally? I am from Greece. Okay. And uh, why are you here working? Uh, so uh, the ICA is one of the uh, most influential institutes in cancer science. So I thought that it would be a great opportunity for me after my master's in Greece to come to England and uh, seek a better future so that I can, through my work, I can contribute uh, to the better future of uh, more patients and to the, development, to the development of new therapies that can uh, potentially aid uh, the cure of cancer. Do you think you'll take this knowledge back to Greece one day? Uh, possibly. <laughs> this is too early to, yeah. uh, to make so long-term plans, but possibly, yes, of course, this could be used back in my country. Good luck, George. Thank you very much for talking to much. us. Thank you. So in terms of your aim and whether there's any time scale, Claire, what would you say to listeners who, many of whom are going through breast cancer right now or who have had breast cancer or they're the, the loved ones of those mm. with cancer? So I think we're acutely aware of the urgency for individuals, um, you know, those, as you say, who have breast cancer and, you know, for the women and men, as you know, men can get breast cancer, um, who are going to get it in the next few years. So I think we always feel there's a sort of push, you know, we want to get to the next stage. We want to be able to develop therapies that are going to be effective. Mm. Have there been any lessons that you can draw from the speed in which scientists work together over the past couple of years, focusing on finding a vaccine for COVID? Now, that's interesting. So, of course, uh, you know, there are, as you know, there aren't any vaccines for breast cancer. Um, but what it's really taught us, I think, is a is a sort of mixed way of working. So one of the advantages now is that it's very, because we're all set up with Zoom and um, Teams, is to readily get, for example, experts from overseas to, to give a talk because they don't have to fly here. Um, so it's, it's made um, 
you know, learning about what's going on elsewhere much more rapid, much more, uh, you know, than it used to be where you'd ha perhaps have to travel to a conference to hear that stuff. Yeah. So I think, you know, that's something we should definitely keep, keep doing. Obviously, we've missed the sort of science talk, you know, when we, were, when we weren't in the lab. Um, in terms of, you know, w how the vaccines does it, you know, that's a sort of what, we, you know, we're sort of like a, a project where sort of everyone comes together and says, you know, they, they, it's a very clear goal. Yeah. You know, one a, goal. A very one goal. One, yeah. Yes, it's almost what we'd call an engineering problem, like putting a man on the moon. Mm. We've just, you know, got to solve this problem and we've got to solve it fast. And it's, you know, urgent. Um, and of course, you know, cancer is more challenging than that. Mm. It's much more nuanced. But I, it still tells us that by focusing, putting your mind on the matter and getting all the different experts together, um, you know, re, you know, you can make faster strides. There has been much progress in terms of treat, the treatment of yeah. breast cancer yeah. in recent decades. What's your assessment of where we are now with breast cancer treatment? I, I mean, it's interesting. So I've been here for 20 years and when I fairly soon after I arrived, Herceptin came in, you know, and I remember, you know, famous doctors almost crying the results were so good and it has you know transformed the lives of those women who've got so-called HER2 positive breast cancer and what does Herceptin do? do it's, yes it's an it's a it's an antibody so that so about 25% uh, of breast cancers they overexpress this receptor called HER2 and it drives the cells to divide and this is a, a therapeutic antibody that blocks that signaling mm -hmm. and you know you know the trials and of course it's now uh, you know it's uh, given to all women with her two positive breast cancer and it's turned it from being one of the worst types of breast cancer into one of the better types um, so it's you know a huge success but sorry i interrupted you mm. you were saying experts medics scientists were in tears at the results well, yes i mean you know because they were in, you know the the, diff the difference, yeah, transformational. Yeah. The difference between in the trials that came out, the difference between the women who were receiving mm. this new treatment and the ones who weren't, you know, was stark. Um, and you, you know, and everyone wants to see new treatments. And and then I would say there was a, you know, there were incremental um, advances, but in the last decade, I mean, particularly the CD, what's called the CDK4 inhibitors, the palbocyclib is probably the most famous of them. Um, and these is for the women with the estrogen receptor positive breast cancers. And again, you know, the trials there, and it's a widely now, you know, uh, available drug. Mm -hmm. um, the trials there were, I think, again, more impressive than people might have hoped. You know, you never know sometimes until you see it. Um, and you know, it's 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 again, you know, for, you know, just changing the lives of women. It's a it's an easy to tolerate drug. Mm. It's um, very effective, um, and you know, when now and we'll perhaps talk about this later. You know, some of the new immunotherapies. So yes, there has been some really impressive new things happening in the last decade. I'd say. And, and is that continuing? Yes, and I think you know we'll see this. Um, particularly with the immune, uh, the immune therapies, where 
um, a bit like Rachel was telling you with what she's trying to do. They're, of course, not targeting the cancer. They're, targ they're trying to G up the immune system to do its job. You know, your immune system should recognize a cancer cell as a foreign thing mm. and destroy it. And the cancer, of course, is cunning and it, and it dampens down that response. And so these um, immunotherapies, what they do is so basically G up the immune system again, remove those blocks. And not so much in breast cancer, but in some other cancers, you know, melanoma, um, lung cancers. I mean, that's been transformative. Who funds this place? So this, um, we're funded predominantly by Breast Cancer Now. Which, which is, is a charity. Which is a, research, a breast cancer research charity. Um, but we also so, so donations from the public. Yes, donations from the public. Um, we also have some funding from uh, Cancer Research UK. So Rachel, another charity. Yes, another charity. Um, George is actually funded on an EU uh, training network where there's a group of 15 PhD students spread around 15 different labs, um, all focused on uh, advanced breast cancer. Uh, sorry, advanced cancers. Yes, not just breast. Um, and we receive a little bit of you know, money. Uh, we have some collaborations with some pharmaceutical companies, um, other studentships. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much for telling us about all that. Um, we're going to delve more, I think, yeah. when we talk about trials, because we're yeah. going to uh, introduce Jasmine, who has been on a clinical trial. And for her, it's been pretty amazing. But for now, Professor Claire Isaac, thank you very much. Thank you. We have now moved to the basement of the Institute of Cancer Research and Professor Claire Isaac is alongside me, as is Dr. Simon Vincent. Hello to you. Hello. And we've got Jasmine David, who is joining us on Zoom from whereabouts in the country are you, Jasmine? Manchester. Welcome to And Then Came Breast Cancer. Jasmine is going to tell us about a clinical trial that she has been on and how that has affected her life. Claire, you, you want to make a point about this centre also being what? Oh, so I work in the breast cancer, run a lab in the Breast Cancer Now Research Centre, and its primary purpose when it was set up was to make sure that we had all the breast cancer scientists together, from clinicians to computational scientists to people like me who run what we call wet labs, you know, do experiments, so that you know, we could look at, you know, sort of tackle breast cancer, you know, from all its different angles. And I think it's been a very successful approach. And it was strangely unusual when it was first set up yeah. to have that. Simon, uh, tell people what you do and what your job is. Yes, yeah, so I'm Director of Research Supports and Influencing for Breast Cancer Now. So part of my job is looking after our entire research portfolio, and that includes the amazing work going on here in Claire's lab and, and the rest of the centre. Um, but as, there's research going on right across the country as well. Um, but I'm also looking after the, the support that we provide for those affected by breast cancer. So this includes our, our helpline and the, 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 the services that we provide, face-to-face -face opportunities to, to help people through if they've had a diagnosis or living with, with breast cancer. And it also includes all of our campaigning, our policy work, the, the influencing that we're trying to do behind the scenes to, to get a better deal for those affected by breast cancer. Okay. Jasmine, tell us a little bit about your diagnosis. My primary diagnosis was in 2017, November, where I was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer, grade three. Um, I underwent chemotherapy 
it was adjuvant chemotherapy, I believe, what they mentioned. And um, I had left-sided mastectomy done, uh, followed by 15 sessions of radiation, radiotherapy. Yeah, that was my first diagnosis. So I had a freeze on for almost 15 months. And unfortunately, it came back straight after 15 months. Uh, that was in 2019, October. Um, just started with a cough. That's it. Um, and I got a diagnosis of um, secondary metastatic breast cancer. Affected my both lungs, um, breastbone, and lymph nodes. And that means essentially that your cancer had spread. Yeah. And what did the medics say to you about how long they thought you might survive for? My consultant um, could give me a median survival span of 10 to 12 months. Good God. And what kind of impact did that have on you? Um, I, I felt like um, if at all I was getting a little hoop of a hay, I would cling on to that right. and see if I get any benefit from anywhere of any sort, even to leave at least one more day extra. That was my immediate thought. And can I ask how old you were at this point in 2019? I was 49. Uh, and what about your family? I have no family history of breast cancer. My mom, she's 96 feet and healthy, she's alive. Uh, I've got four sisters, none of them are affected. My immediate family, my husband, my daughter, my son, we live in Manchester. And how did you tell them? Um, one thing I would say that I was happy to share that I was pretty relieved by the fact that it was before the pandemic, um, COVID pandemic, so that my husband could be with me whilst this was all discussed, I was not alone. <laughs> that was a plus thing I had, you know. Um, my my children, they are kind of my son, he's 22 now, and my daughter, she's in 19. Um, more than my son, I was more worried about my daughter, obviously, I don't know why. Um, but she's a biomedical student, so she was reading more about it, more than me. Uh, that made me more easy to uh, convey my message to her. Um, and I would say she was a strong person to support me, my daughter. Mm. I'm going to ask you about the, the clinical trial that you offered in just a moment, but I want to bring in Claire and Simon, if I may. In terms of clinical trials, what would you, how would you assess where we are, Claire, in terms of their usefulness when it comes to helping women like Jasmine? Oh, I mean, enormously useful because obviously, you know, these new treatments, you don't want someone to take a treatment that's not working. So you need a clinical trial to show, you know, whether it's benefiting uh, patients. Otherwise, they might have another opportunity they don't get. So clinical trials are just hugely important. And, you know, the way that clinical trials are um, run now, they're actually faster than they used to be. Um, and especially perhaps in the, uh, uh, the setting, the advanced breast cancer setting, where 
you know, you could tell actually more easily whether a patient's responding to a new therapy or not. Mm. And what would you say about this at the moment, Simon? I, I think it's, uh, there's, there's huge opportunities out there. Um, I, the this, this sort of trial that, that uh, Jasmine was on was, was a relatively early stage. So mm. this is a trial which is the, at the cutting edge of research, looking at, at new things. And genuinely, scientists and clinicians don't know how this is going to help people. Mm. So, um, but you then have to move on to much larger trials where you are testing it against the, the best standards that we've got and making sure that it is, it is really going to do what it says it is. Um, and... You're right, the, the trials are quicker than they used to be. Claire's absolutely right, and that's because uh, we've got better ways of seeing whether the drug's having an effect, and we've got fantastic statisticians working to push the data as hard as we can to get as much out of it. But the fact is, when you do those large trials to, to say, can we get this drug really used across vast populations, they do take time. They take a lot of people, they take a lot of time and mm. a lot of money. So we're pushing as fast as we can, and there's some great trials going on in this country and around the rest of the world, but it, it's, it's, a really, it's a really tough uh, research path that some of these drugs have to go through. How do you get offered the chance to be on a trial, Jasmine? Yeah, I was told by my consultant, two options were given, either try standard chemotherapy, mm -hmm. which would uh, only give me a 10 to 12 months max lifespan. But he recommended, or he kind of, more explained in detail regarding clinical trials going on within uh, breast cancer advanced stage. Um, they were where I'm, I was enrolled at Christie's. We had a couple of studies going on at that time. And uh, uh, my consultant wanted to see whether I was eligible for any one of them. So first two studies where they were planning to enroll me in, I was not eligible to, for, I don't know why. Uh, but of course, obviously, maybe my studies, cell studies, everything they must have done, I was not um, fitting with that. But the third one, when it came up, uh, I was um, kind of eligible to enroll in. And that was between my secondary diagnosis and entering to a clinical trial. It took only two months' time. What were you told about the trial and what it would involve. But because I'm imagining, and you tell me, Jasmine, I'm mm -hmm. imagining you're thinking, oh my God, this could extend my life. But of course, there's no, of course, no, there's no guarantee no. of that. No, I was told, um, sadly, this is not curable, mm -hmm. but we can extend your life. We can at least offer you more quality life and um, uh, your symptoms can be more um, uh, under control. And this at least will give a long lifespan rather than just going for a chemotherapy and achieving 10 to 12 months. That was the uh, feelings or thoughts I received from my team. So, of course, you're going to say, yes, please, I want to do that, of course. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, whatever when can I we start? To. Yeah. yeah. What, what, what did the trial involve then? What did you have to take? Um, it was a phase one clinical trial I have participated in. This was um, uh, a study drug combined with an immunotherapy drug, atisilicilamab. Um, and this was for a two years program from 2019 December, and I finished by 2021 December. Um, first two months, uh, the first two doses, I was an inpatient for receiving this just to see the side effects maybe. 
but then I ended up in hospital for further two to three weeks with an infusion reaction. Okay. Um, uh, it was all managed very well. And um, with the third dose, from the third dose, I felt uh, I was fine. I, I, I couldn't even feel I was receiving a, a medicine. I will just go for a day trip like I used to go to Christie's, have my team um, uh, receive my medication. By evening, I'll come home. Obviously, I live quite close to the hospital, so it was very handy for me. Um, um, first scan, every three monthly they were doing the scan. First scan itself showed 80% um, response. Um, so, so, so sorry, so sorry. What does that mean? The first scan showed an 80% response. What does that mean? Because you, you had a smile on your face when you were saying that, so I know it's good. <laughs> yeah, because the, um, when I went in for the, scan, uh, for the clinical trial, the scan, what I had in my hand was multiple meds, and it is an advanced stage. And after three months, when, they, when I have received only three doses of this clinical trial medicine, the scan showed those lesions, 100%, if it was a 100% lesion, if you take it, 80% of them were disappeared. Gosh. So I had only 20% residue um, of illness within my body. So that was giving me, oh my God, I can win this over. That kind of a feeling I was having it. Wow. From then on, until the end of my trial, the last clinical uh, trial uh, scan showed me there is no evidence of active disease in the body. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. That was a real miracle, I would say that. And I would give the whole credit to my team and my almighty, who is always there. Oh. So that is a good news Absolutely. for me. And for anybody who is kind of in a distressed to decide whether to go for a clinical trial or whether to just uh, go for, like, you know, people are quite difficult to make a decision whether this is for me. Even sure. I didn't know whether this was for me. Mm -hmm. uh, but rather than having nothing, try. Yeah. What do you think That's... of that? What do you think of that, Claire? Well, this is these new... Um immunotherapy drugs, I mean, they can have, uh, and I'm really pleased for you, uh, Jasmine, you know, spectacular results. Um, oh, so the big, you know, the, there's a lot of research going on at the moment um, to try and get them to work for more people. Um, so some people have, you know, just extraordinary uh, benefit from them. And some people's disease doesn't change very much. Yeah. Um, so, but, but you're knowing that it can work, you know, that really incentivizes everyone to say, well, come on, what, you know, if it, if it works for some people, then what do we need to do to get it yes. to work for everyone? Jasmine, do you know how many people were on your trial and how many of you ended up with the kind of results you had with the last scan? As far as I know, 412 participants across the globe were initially in the phase one trial. Mm -hmm. um, that was not... Along the breast cancer advanced stages, we had prostate cancer patients and ovarian cancer patients were enrolled as well. Okay. Um, as, as far as I know, um, three from the breast cancer team have received complete response like me. Right. And another five or six of them received 80% like my first 
uh, response after the, they carried on with that 80% response. Uh, that's what I, as far as I know, but I haven't yeah. got anything in writing, but this is what they explained to me. No, I understand. I mean, I suppose I feel like we ought to, Simon, say, but Claire's just said it, these clinical trials won't work for everyone. No, and I think Jasmine's made some really important points there. It's fantastic to hear that story there. But, but yes, um, not everyone will respond. Mm. Um, and, and, and Claire's right, one of the real challenges uh, that breast cancer researchers are facing now is, is, is trying to work out in advance who is going to benefit and who isn't, trying to find whether it's a, a something to do with the genetics, whether there's a, 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 perhaps a molecule that you can pick up, um, whether it's a change in some people's tumours and not in others. Um, and that will, that has two things. First of all, it will mean that if you do take that drug, then you are more likely to benefit. But the flip side of that, of course, is that it means that when you do that analysis of, of the patient and the doctor sitting together to make the decision, some patients will eventually be told, I'm really sorry, this drug is not going to work for you. Sure. So for all the fact that, that, that some of these new drugs are going to have amazing results, we need to realise that we have to keep looking for new drugs and new drugs and new drugs because they won't work for everybody. And we want to make sure that every breast cancer patient talking to their clinician has an opportunity to have some sort of treatment. Okay. Um, I've got some questions here yeah. from the uh, Future Dreams community. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know which of you will be able to answer these, but, but, but maybe it's a joint effort. I don't know. Uh, the first question is, what is, what's the biggest thing currently for brain mets? And that means cancer that has spread yeah. to the brain. Uh, well, I'll pick up some general things. And then, Claire, I know that your own lab is working on some aspects of this, isn't it? So, so one of the reasons why brain mets were a real challenge is that the brain is very well protected from the rest of the body for, for very good reasons, because it's a, huge, a hugely sensitive and delicate organ. But that does mean that some drugs that we take that flow around the body in our bloodstreams can't get into the brain. So there are some chemotherapies which might keep metastases under control if they're in any other part of the body but, but can't get through to the brain. So, so getting drugs into the brain is, is actually a real challenge. And this isn't just for breast cancer, it's for all cancers as mm. well. So uh, we've got some, some projects that we're funding which are, which are trying to take existing drugs and, and see whether they can get through to the brain, uh, to see whether they will be able to, first of all, looking at that in, 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 in a Petri dish and seeing whether those drugs can uh, affect uh, breast cancer cells when they've spread into a brain environment, but then eventually we'll be testing those in, in clinical trials to see. So that's a real challenge, which is why it's so hard. But Claire, you've got some great work going yeah. on, haven't you? So um, we've been doing some, just published actually some work on a particular form of brain um, when the cancers have spread to the brain. And it's particularly nasty, it's when it spreads to the lining of the brain. So in the meninges, you know, uh, which is the um, the lining that goes all the way down the brain and down the spinal cord. And if, if the, when the breast cancer cells get there, they can, because it's bathed in a lovely fluid, they can very rapidly spread. And, and there's usually, um, unfortunately, only about two to three months life expectancy when you've had a diagnosis. And the problem is the same sort of problem. It's actually diagnosing it. A patient comes in with perhaps um, a headache or maybe some double vision, mm -hmm. you know, some neurological symptom. 
And the doctor wants to know, is this, is this where it's spread to the lining of the brain? But the tests are often equivocal, you know, difficult to diagnose. And so we've been doing some work, you know, using sort of more modern DNA sequencing methods, taking a little bit of the fluid from the um, spinal fluid um, and showing a much more rapid um, what we call a tumor, tumor agnostic approach to saying, yes, there's tumor, there's tumor cells in this space. And that means those patients can receive treatment much more quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, or sometimes because by the time a diagnosis has been made, they're too unwell to receive treatment. Um, so we're very excited about that. And I think that is the sort of thing, it's not, it's not a new drug, mm -hmm. it's just a new way of getting an earlier diagnosis and also being able to monitor when treatment is and isn't working so that treatment can be stopped earlier if it's okay. not working and the patient doesn't have to have the side effects. Uh, another question here. After a full mastectomy and clear lymph nodes, my medical team are still recommending radiotherapy as they found lots of small one millimeter tumors throughout the breast. Right, okay. So uh, I'm gonna start this by saying I'm a, I'm a scientist by training, not a clinician. Yep. Um, so I, I, I can't comment on the, the exact clinical details here. But, but, the, broad but the broad principles yep. are, uh, there are lots of, of different approaches that you can take and um, women and, and the men who are diagnosed with breast cancer as well, it may be surgery, it may be hormone therapy, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, now things like immuno-oncology mm. that Claire's already talked about. And a clinician will work with uh, you as a patient and based on what they see in the diagnosis and, and maybe some additional tests, will work out what the best options are. And for all of these things, there are going to be pros and cons and you need to weigh up the risks. So in this particular case, I don't know, but what I do know is that there's a lot of work going on to try and do uh, genetic tests of the tumor and based on the, the sequences that Claire's already talked about, based on the DNA sequences of what's happening in the tumor cells, you can say, look, this particular patient will really benefit from radiotherapy, but actually this particular patient won't. Or actually the, the risk of this cancer spreading is, is really quite low, so we don't need to put this patient through further chemotherapy or, or radiotherapy. These tests are still experimental. They're gradually being introduced for some areas of treatment, but um, there's, there's, there's always an opportunity to ask, do we need this treatment? What is the, the consequences? What is the risk? And, mm -hmm. and again, it's honing the treatment to make it just what is enough to treat the cancer, but not so much that the side effects are overwhelming. And that's going to be a different point of, of balance for every single person. Another question here. This is from Ripped Jean Queen. That's <laughs> her Insta handle. Will Herceptin ever be available to be prescribed to women on its own without it having to be given alongside chemotherapy treatment? Well, that's interesting. Um, again, I don't know that, uh, you know, not being a clinician, uh, the, the answer to that, but what I can tell your ripped queen yes. <laughs> um, is that the same drug, Herceptin, is now um, looking, so they're now attaching what is, it's more than military terms, warheads to it. So it's an even more potent drug. Mm -hmm. And that is looking very good. Even for so patients who've had the Herceptin, the cancers perhaps come back, given the same drug, but put on it a very toxic um, chemical, so it, the, which is only released right where 
the antibodies binding, so it's very localized, is is really effective. And okay. um, so, and that might be one way of only having to have the Herceptin without the chemotherapy, because yes. essentially you're you're giving the chemotherapy, the chemotherapy sort of locally. on the end of the, yeah, yeah, in exactly. that warhead. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly yeah. what Understood. it is. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is there any new alternative to tamoxifen? And that's from Amanda Rimmer. Well, of course, the aromatase. So there's the big classes of um, uh, treatments for women with estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. So tamoxifen was the first and is still a wonderful drug. Mm. Um, for women who've been through the menopause, then they would actually usually be given an aromatase inhibitor. Um, and the third class is one that's um, not been used so much partly it's more difficult to administer, which is fulvestrant, which is um, an, it destroys the estrogen receptor. You're trying to stop the estrogen signaling. So the, there are alternatives, but if your um, future dreams... Um, uh, Amanda. Uh, Amanda, sorry, yeah. has, has been recommended tamoxifen, it's probably that she's premenopausal and then the aromatase inhibitors don't work well. Right, okay. Uh, Jasmine, I'm gonna come back to you uh, because your story is astonishing <laughs> and we love a, 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 an optimistic, <laughs> astonishing story. And if I could just describe the width of your smile <laughs> to people listening right now, it is fantastic. So how do you, how do you feel? I'm all the more now, I would say. I bet you <laughs> because, are. Because, um, to be honest, when I went for this trial, I would say I never expected a 100% kind of um, uh, uh, result. Mm. I was at least hoping 80 was, I was more than happy first when I got that 80% if it stays there. Yeah. But having received this 100% that there is no measurable disease, Oh my God, no words, of no words. And do the, the, the people behind the clinical trial have to, because the trial is over now, it was two years, as you said, mm -hmm. do they have to continue giving you those drugs? Yeah, that's the thing I wanted to, um, uh, you know, explain. The, the trial is going into phase two uh, trial period mm -hmm. where I'm not participating in that phase two. But having shown this response, I think uh, that was one of the document, it was on the company's document, it was written, if somebody who shows favorable response, the company was happy to continue the treatment as long as patient tolerates it or any other side effects that I have to come out of with. So I'm still carrying on with the same medications and the same frequency, same dose, same interval. Yeah. And with three monthly scan, as usual, how it was during the trial period. And so if I just briefly go back through what's happened to you, you were given a diagnosis in 2017. It mm -hmm. The cancer came back in 2019. You were told you mm -hmm. had 10 to 12 months to live. Mm -hmm. In 2022, after a two year clinical trial, you are still here. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> how, how has this experience changed your outlook on the rest of your life? All I wanted, like, you know, I just wanted to tell people, whoever is listening now or whoever is kind of in a, a dilemma, what and where they are going to make a decision with clinical trial, um, is that it is called targeted therapy. 
isn't it? So it may be targeted to you. Who knows whether it is for you or not? So try and give a trial. There is no harm in giving you a trial of a trial. Mm-hmm. Um, but although you don't, you you may have to go for extra visits, extra procedures to undergo for the eligibility. All that is nothing when compared to the other end. If you come out of with a colorful hundred percent recovery like me. And what I feel from now, take, enjoy each day. <laughs> That's my, each moment. So now I'm sitting with you. You are my priority. Right. And this minute is my priority. Yeah, you're in and the I present. Yeah. yeah, and I yeah. live for today. Yeah, which is superb. Um, Jasmine, thank you so much for telling us about the trial. Thank you for being part of the podcast today. Claire, thank you very much for your time and for showing us around the lab. And Simon, thank you as well. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Um, This is a breast cancer podcast from the Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity. If you would like more information, do go to their website. And it is a six foot six and factory original production. Thank you so much for listening. Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity hopes you found this podcast helpful. We fund awareness, support and research. If you would like to help us do more, please text WE CARE to 7500 to make a £5 donation or visit our website at futuredreams.org.uk forward slash donate. Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity will receive 100% of your donation. Text costs your donation plus one standard rate text message, UK only. Always get the bill payers' permission. We would like to contact you on your mobile phone with news and updates. If you would rather opt out, then please add no info to the end of your message. For example, we care, no info. Thank you again for listening.